Good morning again. Good to see everyone. Thank you again for being here. I pray that you have your Bibles or a Bible on your phone or however you desire to to read the Word of God. Uh, I'm kind of old-fashioned. I like the flipping of the pages, the turning of the pages and all that. And um, But today, um, I'm going to go ahead and ask that you be turning to 1 Timothy chapter 1, but also Acts chapter 20 will be in those two places today. As you're turning there, I want to remind us of a couple of things as a church family. One, the active shooter training uh, simulation will be having Sunday, October 20th after the services. Please, RSVP, if you can come to that. Uh, we're going to have a meal following that second service. Uh, again, there's information regarding this on our website, but it is going to be a shooter simulation. So there'll, there'll be uh, uh, kind of scenarios they'll be acting out, realistic uh, simulation, but we need se- at least 75 people to be here for that. So if you could put that on your calendar, if you wouldn't mind being here for that, it'll be a training for the church and there'll be some other individuals outside the church. will be a part of that. Uh, again, there'll be a meal and, uh, before that, that time. So put that on your calendar. If you can, October 20th, if you would RSVP through realm, if you go on our website, there's Realm if you don't have a, already have a login for that. But also, I want to remind us of Wednesday evenings, our time together for fellowship. And we have a meal before our Bible study. Of course, we have uh, children, youth, and adult Bible studies on Wednesday evenings. That uh, meal on Wednesday evenings is time for fellowship where we can get to know one another. Uh, some of us are doing work during the day, and, and so we uh, this is an opportunity to just come here to the church campus uh, this past Wednesday, we, we ran out of food. Uh, we never want to turn anyone away, but we had a huge number of people that did not RSVP, and some had, and, and we, didn't, we weren't able to feed everyone. When you invite someone to your house for a meal and run out of food, it's just not real good, is it? No. So if you would, uh, we, we want everyone to feel welcome. We love that time. It's been a great time of fellowship. So help us out. If you would go on Realm again and RSVP for that, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. We're going to try to adjust anyway. And uh, there's a card in the little brown binder. Thank you, David. Uh, You can also RSVP through that and just leave that in the offering boxes that are by the door. Okay? All right. Anything else before we begin? I think that's good. All right. Lots going on. Lots happening in life. And Busy, 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 but folks, if we are too busy for the Lord, we, we're missing the whole point of it all. Amen? Amen. So if you're a guest, thank you for being here in church family. Uh, let's continue to invite others to come and be a part. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for our time together, Lord. I just uh, confess, Lord, that the business of life, I myself experiencing it as we're doing life together. Uh, Here at Champion Fellowship, families are walking through difficult times. Our community walking through difficult times um, with the passing of loved ones. And some we were expecting, some were sudden. And Lord, life hits us hard. Thank you that we have your grace. Thank you that we have your presence in the body, Lord, to walk with us and Lord, to guide us. Thank you for your word that teaches us truth and how to live out this life of faith. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that during this time of the word, you would exalt Christ. Lord, that everything would be pointed back to Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. And I thank you for this time. May your anointing be here today, fully leading us through your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. 
Amen. We're going to jump into 1 Timothy. As we do that, or before we do that, just a little uh, information leading up to it. We know that Timothy has been uh, mentored by the Apostle Paul. Paul has poured into them, into Timothy. Timothy is a child, true son of the faith, if you will, Paul would say. And he uh, grabbed hold of this young man at an early age. Uh, some say he was about 15 years of age. And he just began walking through life with Paul and the ministry of Paul, going with him as he was sharing the gospel and planting churches all throughout the known world. As Paul would go out into the Gentile world and share, Timothy's just walking along with him. He's seeing the life that Paul is putting on display. Now, we get to Acts chapter 18, and we see Paul coming into this uh, region where the city of Ephesus is located. And uh, Paul would leave some friends there, Pr uh, Priscilla and Aquila, this husband-wife team. He would leave them there at Ephesus to, to do ministry, and then he would go off and uh, continue on, and he would leave uh, some others there uh, with them hopefully to return. During that time, as you move from chapter 18 into chapter 19, we see the great Apollos, this magnificent preacher of the word, and how Priscilla and Aquila are pouring into Apollos. He was of the uh, preaching of John the Baptist, uh, preaching a baptism of repentance. Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and say, hey, Apollos, uh, let, let's tell you the rest of the story. And he, he, as he's a great student of the word, he sees that, he receives that, and then they send him on to Corinth, and, and then they're continuing to do ministry there at Ephesus, and uh, Paul returns to them. And for about two and a half years, three years, Paul is just preaching the gospel. He's teaching. He starts out in the synagogue for three months, and he's teaching the Jews there. Well, then their uh, hearts are hardened to the gospel, the scripture says, and then there's an uprising because the city of Ephesus is a great cosmopolitan area, thousands of people. One of the, uh, the uh, uh, I think, seventh, eighth, how many wonders of the world? The, the temple of uh, Artemis is there, uh, otherwise known as Diana, and so there's a lot of idolatry. There's a lot of uh, idols made there for that worship of Artemis. Uh, magic and sorcery is huge in the city of Ephesus. In fact, you'll see in chapter 19 where Demetrius, one of the idol makers, silversmiths, he, uh, he gets upset because their industry is being impacted by the Apostle Paul. Uh, in fact, he says, you know, this, this Apostle, this, this Paul is sharing this message all throughout the area, and our business of making idols is silver Smith is taking a beating, if you will. And so there's an uprising there in Ephesus, and Paul's uh, wanting to confront that. But anyway, uh, as we move through chapter 19, we see where that is dispelled. But again, Paul continuing to do ministry there in Ephesus. The church is growing. Uh, thousands of manuscripts and scrolls devoted to um, uh, magic and sorcery are brought and burned in a pile of heap. And so the gospel is on the move in Ephesus. Now go back to where Paul started out in the synagogue and teaching the Jews there and they reject. Well, there are some, there are those who are going to rise up in the church at Ephesus and they are going to begin teaching a false doctrine. They're going to be known as the Judaizers, those who are always in opposition against Paul. They would teach this false doctrine of 
elevating self-righteous works, uh, that they are to uh, gain their approval with God through their works. They would elevate the individual, uh, their self-righteous works. They would elevate position and status and wealth, that if you are really good with God, God is going to physically uh, bless you on this present life. But we know as a church, as we walk through scripture, the life that we are called to as a Christian, and some people really struggle with this. Paul said anyone who desires to live a godly life will experience what? Persecution, suffering. The world does not love Jesus Christ. Christ would say that if he would suffer, the hands of the world uh, wouldn't also, I'm paraphrasing, the followers of Jesus Christ. And so... Let's, let's go back to chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, before we get into 1 Timothy. I want to start out there. As I, as I said, uh, Acts really gives a picture of the growth of the church. And as I said, in Ephesus, the ministry of Paul. And then Paul leaves after ministering there for almost three years. And then he, he is coming back to Ephesus. Now he's leaving Timothy as a preacher and an elder there in the church. And he's going to charge him with a command. Now, I want you to see the scene, though, in Acts chapter 20, where Paul, he would love to go to Ephesus, but he does not want to be delayed because he knows he's going on to Jerusalem. He knows that chains await him in bondage and ultimately that he would end up in Rome. And so from Miletus, he sends out uh, a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that, that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so out of this love for God, love for his Savior, and the call of God on his life to share the gospel, Paul is just focused in. He's traveling all throughout this region. And here in Ephesus, day in and day out, he's preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus Christ and how faith in Christ is the only way to God and to meet his approval. So then in verse 22 and following, I want you to see the, the terms that Paul would use describing his life. Because as we walk through this only love, only this love that comes from God would, would enable a man or a woman to live this kind of life. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, Paul would say he's a bond slave, a servant of Jesus Christ, meaning that it's God's agenda and not his own. He says, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Does that sound like the prosperity gospel? It does not. It does not. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, 
I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. What does he mean, innocent of the blood of all men? That when men would come before him, whenever he'd interact with men and women, individuals, he would share. He made sure that any time he had in relationship with people, he made sure that he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would be without excuse. Would to God that we were that kind of people, that, that the love for Christ was that strong in us, and that the love for people would be that strong, that we would desire that no one would perish apart from God, that everyone would have the opportunity to know this king that we know. He said, I am innocent of the blood of all men. He said, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. We'll get into that more later. Verse 28 Then he says this, and here's where this warning comes out, and as he would instruct Timothy in his letter to Timothy, he says in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, there's an enemy that desires to destroy the church. Rest assured, not sparing the flock, verse 29. Verse 30, and from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And then he goes on in this chapter, uh, finishing it out. He says, he, it says that he knelt down with them there on the beach, and he prayed over them. And they wept, and they cried because they knew that they would not see Paul again, face to face on this side of heaven. An incredible love for people an incredible love for the church, for the Lord, that is among these individuals, these leaders of the church. And Paul warns them, false teachers are coming. False teachers will rise up from among your midst in the body of Christ. And so when we get to 1 Timothy, as the preacher and the pastor there in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, Timothy is there and Paul gives him a command. And in this letter, uh, known as one of the pastoral epistles, because it really describes in 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy's personal charge to teach the word of God and to guard it, uh, but it also life in the church. And so when we talk about life among the believers in the body of Christ, what does that look like? Well, let's go to, we're just going to do just a brief overview of this today. And we'll come back and go verse by verse, but um, verse five, chapter one, verse five. But Paul would say to Timothy, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. All of this instruction, all that we're going to walk through in 1 Timothy, in this letter, he says, all of the instruction of the apostles, the word, the revelation of God has come through the prophets and the apostles. The goal of all of this is to produce a love. What kind of love is he talking about? We don't want to miss this, and we've said it many, many times. It is an agape love. It is a love that can only come from God. It is the highest aspiration of a love that can ever be experienced. 
a one the source can only come from God. He is the one who, who demonstrated that love. He's the one who gives that love. And this love, as we've shared before, 100% of this love is at the expense of the giver. How do we know this? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ gave of himself. Jesus humbled himself. The word made flesh. He humbled himself, left his heavenly abode with the father and became, took the form of a man, took the form of a servant, humbled himself and willingly went to the cross. He who was without sin, Paul would say, and Peter would say, he who was without sin, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf. This Jesus, the Son of God, would go to the cross. He would give his life as a sacrifice to make the payment for the penalty of our sin. 100% at the expense of the giver. Jesus Christ, that example, that one who demonstrated that kind of love. It is one that he chose to love us that way. He chose to do that. He wasn't forced. He wasn't taken. He was giving of himself. That is the love that we're talking about here that is to be evident in the church. And the only way that we can experience this love is through the word of God. That is the only way. I can go back to the beginning of this relationship with this holy God. It is through the word of God that we know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is through the word of God that we are made known uh, the salvation that is offered to us. It is through the word of God that we even know anything about this cross of Calvary. It is through the word of God that we know anything about this son of God who was crucified, who was buried and resurrected. It is through the word of God that we understand that he then ascended to the father. He sits at the right hand of the father interceding on our behalf every day. Why? because we continue to struggle with the flesh and the sinfulness of, of mankind. We continue, even though we're covered by the blood, we celebrated the table this morning, amen? We're covered by the blood, yet today we will deal with our flesh. And so Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. The enemy would accuse us and condemn us, but Jesus would say to the Father, no, that's mine. He's covered, she's covered, She's covered. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can enter into the presence of a holy God. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can gather together today and worship him in spirit and in truth. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can receive this forgiveness on a regular basis. It is through the blood of Christ that we can come together and do life and experience this love with one another. This is a kind of love. He says the goal of our instruction is love. I want you to think about that. As he's going to walk through uh, this letter, doing life, protecting the body of Christ from false teachers, he's going to go into chapter 2 and talk about men and women, their roles in the church. He's going to go into chapter 3 and talk about elders and deacons and their wives and how the leadership of the church is to function. How do you acknowledge and recognize those leaders? He's going to go into chapter 4 and discuss the dangers that will be there in the church and before the church and how to deal with those dangers. He's going to go into chapter 5 and 6 and talk about widows and how we care for one another in the church and then end up at chapter 6 and he's going to say, Timothy, again, be on your guard. But in all of these relationships and all of this doing life together, what will enable us to continue on? The word of God producing a love within us. It is not based on your feelings. I'm going to go back to the definition of this love. 
What kind of love are we talking about? It is a sacrificial love, an agape love, a love that chooses to love so that the word of God, as, it is, as he is showing us how to do life together, there will be moments when our feelings will not be right. Some of you this morning, your feelings aren't, aren't in line with celebrating Jesus. Uh, some of you, I, I have the luxury and the privilege of seeing the countenance on everyone's faces. <laughs> Y'all are looking forward. You're not looking side by side. We're not, we're not doing this interaction like this, right? You're not looking to people. Look around you for a minute. Just look at it. Just people see happy. Some, we're here. There are other people here, believe it or not. I get to see your expressions. I get to see your interaction um, outwardly, and, and sometimes the feelings betray. Sometimes feelings betray relationships here. We don't feel like doing life together. I don't feel like being here. Uh, their feelings betray the relationship between husband and wife. I have people who say, I, I just feel like I'm in love with her anymore. Uh, wait, wait a minute, back up to the love? Are you talking about your self-centered man, humanistic love? Are you talking about the love of God? Love of God chooses. Today, I choose to love my precious wife, Leslie. I, I choose to love her, not based on how she responds to me, but how I respond to Christ because he is my king and my savior. He says, you love her in this way. You get up today and you choose to lay your life down for her. You put her interest and her needs ahead of your own. Hello, that's not always easy to do. Feelings aren't always there, are they? The wives should be giving me an amen. <laughs> Hallelujah, pastor, amen. You see, in these relationships and friendships and in the workplace, we could go on and on and on. Feelings will betray you. Your feelings will tell you, not today. I'm out of here. So, what, so we don't base it on our feelings. We base it on the word of God. So Paul's going to walk Timothy. Uh, there are going to be some things happen in the church. These false teachers are going to rise up and they're going to say, elevate. The problem was that these uh, false teachers were teaching that you're to follow the law. They were elevating self-righteous works, wealth, health, prosperity, position, and status. If you do this, God will do this. Have you heard that before? 2,000 years, and it's still the same. But Paul would be professing through the teaching of the apostles, the prophets, it is through faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's nothing, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less. It's simply God loves we put our faith in Christ, and then we engage in that love relationship. So there's a difference there. So in the context of this relationship right here, we're going to need the word because there's going to be times where we're not going to understand why somebody just kicked me in the shin. But how do I deal with that? And so he's going to walk into the goal of, the instru of our instruction, he says, is love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. We're going to... We're going to break this down further as we walk through this letter. But think for a moment, a good, a pure heart. The character, the love and character we have, this character is the character of God. The heart is known to be the seat of the character. And where our motives, how we live out, the what you do when no one else is looking kind of thing, that's character. When, when, when you're hidden from everyone else, uh, what you're thinking, what you want to do, what you want to be about, character can show up right then. What will I say or do when no one else is looking? What will I say or do when I'm in the crowd of people that don't care about Jesus Christ? 
all my character. He says, love from a pure heart, the character of God. That's, that's what we want in the body of Christ, amen? And I can only experience that through the love of Christ and word of God. So from a pure heart, but also from a good conscience. What would he be saying there, good conscience? Well, that is the right and wrong. That good conscience, to have a good conscience means I need to be guilt-free. I need to be forgiven. I need to be free from this sin. Through the sacrifice of Christ we celebrated today, that's how I get that good conscience. And daily, as I confess my sin before him, that blood, just we sang about the blood, continues. That grace continues every day. As I confess to God and as I'm walking that out in relationship, good conscience. There are days when I will offend. Yes, there's going to be days when I offend someone close to me. Do I carry that guilt? Do we carry that guilt? What do we do with that guilt? We go to the cross. We go to that individual. Oh, I need grace today. I need forgiveness. Will you forgive me? See, we need to be a people that are quick to forgive, quick to forgive, and quick to seek forgiveness. Because I want a good conscience. I want a conscience that's covered by the blood and living that out. So pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Hold on with me to that sincere faith. Because as we walk through uh, Acts 20, the life that... Paul was living, sincere faith. What does that mean? Does that mean just a, just a truly, truly, truly real faith? What, what does he mean there? Well, sincere means true, as in one that is uh, pure of um, uh, deficiency or what do you call it when gold or silver has some impurities? What do we do? We burn it off. We walk through James, we walk through 1 Peter, and what do we see about this sincere faith? This faith that God is producing in the individual. It is, the word says, tested or refined by fire. What is God doing? He is growing, he is creating this sincere, this true faith where the impurities are being burned off. Your circumstances that you're walking through that are difficult is the way, many times, the vehicle that God uses to bring about this true, sincere faith in the believer to where we are growing in our faith. We're continuing to trust, as Nigel shared about that song this morning, it is that as we are praising and worshiping God, what is it? How do we, how can that be spiritual battling? How can we use that as a weapon in spiritual warfare? Because as we sing that praise to God in the midst of our difficult circumstances, what are we demonstrating? Trust in the King. Trust in God. We're worshiping, getting our eyes off of our circumstances and the trial, and we're trusting God to walk us through that trial, that as we're walking through that, he is growing us, strengthening us, and reminding us his love that's going to carry us through. Because we, brothers and sisters, are in the age of endurance. The age of endurance. All that Paul would say to Timothy in 1 Timothy and all the other letters that he would write to the church our salvation is secure in Christ. It's sealed, it's set. In 1 Peter, it says it's being guarded in heaven by the power of God. So what are we looking for? The return of Christ, the resurrection. And so in the meantime, as we're walking through life, we are in the age of enduring. We're enduring from one trial to the next, that people would see Christ in us and through us as our faith is being built. Sincere faith. I want you to see... That is the goal of our instruction, Paul says. He's talking about the apostles. The goal of our instruction is love. And that's what we need all in all of these relationships. 
the right kind of love. Personally, though, I'll, I'll finish with this. Personally, Timothy, he's saying, here's the command for you. You see it in verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you do what? Fight the good fight. What is that good fight? He's fighting for the apostles' doctrine. He's fighting for the gospel. The people would know the message that we are called to, this hope, message of hope in Christ. Then in chapter 3, here's the command. He's got this command, fight the good fight. That's the personal command from Paul. But how about corporate in the church? Verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. He's saying, Timothy, as you're pastoring, as you're leading out and those others that you're teaching the word of God to so that they will know how life, what life is to look like in the church, here you go. I'm going to lay it out in this letter. That's why it's called the pastoral epistle, one of them. Then you get into chapter 4, and he talks about how Timothy is to confront the dangers of the false teaching. You get into verse 6 and following there, and he's saying to be a good servant of Christ, you must be engaged in guarding this gospel, this, this doctrine, uh, this doctrine which are words of the faith. It's a sound doctrine. It's one you've been following. And then he goes on through that, that chapter talking about bodily discipline versus spiritual discipline and how this spiritual uh, discipline holds promise for this present life and the life to come. So he's all, what he's doing here as we walk through this, we'll see how the word of God being lived out in the body of Christ is going to produce love, it's going to give direction. It is going to guide us. And then on down in verse 16, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Is he talking about spiritual salvation, this salvation of the soul? No, what he's talking about, because he's writing to the church. These are people who are saved. These are people who are in the body of Christ. Remember the issue, false teachers elevating their false doctrine. What he's saying is, if you stay true, if you guard the gospel, if you guard this apostolic doctrine, if you teach it to others and you adhere to it, you will ensure salvation for yourself. In other words, you won't fall prey to the false teaching. And others will remain true and they will not fall as well. It's a very serious thing that Paul's addressing through Timothy. He goes on and ends the cha uh, chapter 6 with, Oh, Timothy, be on guard. Be on guard. There is an enemy. There is an enemy that is out to destroy the witness of Christ and to destroy the life that God has made available to us in the body of Christ. Uh, we, the goal of his instruction? Love. Love. There's an interesting thing about love, though. Sometimes it's described as two sides of one coin. I, I, tell, I illustrate this way. My kids growing up in athletics, uh, competing all the time in sports, they loved it. I would, I would remind them, passion is what sets you apart. Wouldn't you agree that when you're doing life in the business world, sports, business, community, you see someone who is passionate, you go, man, that sets them apart, right? 
passion. It sets them apart. They love for the game, love for what they do, but passion alone will make you vulnerable. If I say to you today, folks, we're just to love each other, love will get us through, but I leave you there, that will leave us vulnerable. What does that love look like? How do we live it out? Passion alone will make you vulnerable. Here's what I I would say to my kids. The other side of that coin, focus, however, will make you deadly. Focus will make you deadly. What do I mean by that? It gives you accuracy. It gives you a focus to accomplish the goal in front of you. Paul would say, I don't box as one just aimlessly boxing into the air. Paul was very intentional. And this love that Paul is telling us, it is a love that this passion for the king, this passion for Christ, this love for God, one that is sacrificial, willing to do as Christ did and lay my life down for him and for others. To love God, love others. That's the love we're after. It is not this love alone. It is through the word of God that gives us focus. This is how we focus in. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. The word of God gives us focus so that we will be able to achieve our goals and living it out. But it takes courage. Amen? Love will cost. Love will cost us. It's going to cost us, brothers and sisters, to love each other this way. we got people from different walks of life that need to be here. It's going to cost us. And we need courage to follow through with that. So I'm going to give you a teachable moment. I'm going to give you two weeks. Here's what I want you to do. Because it takes relationship, Right? It's all about relationships. And if we're going to live this kind of faith out in this body of believers, we have to know each other. So we do a little homework exercise here. And I know we have introverts in the house. I know we have introverts, so I'm going to help you out. So uh, we're doing life together. I've had emails from introverts. I'm just heads up because they go, how long are we going to do this people thing, relationship thing? I get it. I'll be an introvert. How long are we going to keep uh, starting the service by shaking hands? I get it. Okay, (laughs) but here's the thing. If we're going to live out the word, if we're going to guard the word of God in this body of believers, we have to be accountable, we have to be in relationship. For the next two weeks, I want you to uh, look for an opportunity to ask someone to share a meal with you. Whoa. So here it can look like this. Okay, put it on me. I'll be the bad guy. Okay, I'll be the bad guy. You know, the preacher wants us to do this thing, like have a meal together. I know we don't know each other. I've seen you in passing. I've, you know, I've shaken your hand. I've said hi to you on Sunday mornings, and, and I know you don't know me, and I really don't know you, but a preacher wants us to get to know each other. If it has to be that cold, okay. Uh, you're both on the same page. I, I pray it's not that way. But just next two weeks, would you try that? It just... Invite someone to share. You know, in the next two weeks, uh, can we all agree we're going to have to eat? Yeah? Okay. Uh, You don't have to make it difficult. We've even made it easier to do. Hey, um, you know, the preacher wants us to have a meal together. Wednesday night, there's a fellowship. There's going to be a meal. How about we, that's a safe place. Can we meet up and share a meal together at the church? How about that? That's a starting point. We've got to begin somewhere. 
We've got to begin somewhere if we're going to follow through with this. It may be tough. It's going to take courage. So here's what we're going to do. Let's all stand. I know we need to go. Let's stand. As we're walking through this, it's going to take courage. So here's what I want to pray as we're going. I want to pray that God would give us courage to love. Amen? Courage to love. You know, who came after us? God. He came after us, didn't he? And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It says we are able to love because he first loved us. He came after us. He came after us. It's going to take courage. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today, our time in the word. Lord, thank you for each person who's here today. This was not an accident. There are people here today as the body of Christ and guests. We're all here today. And there's this message about love as we're walking through First Timothy. Uh, Lord, we're going to see how false teachers will rise up in the church, but yet we're to guard the gospel. We see in chapter one how uh, Paul commands Timothy to guard the gospel. And then he talks about celebrating the gospel, as Paul does in his life, and so thankful that for his salvation. And then he, he says to Timothy, fight the good fight. Fight for the gospel. And so, Lord, as we're living this out together, it's going to take courage. Because, Jesus, you're going to show us through your word areas where we fall short. And we do that daily. You're going to remind us of our sin. You're going to remind us of our self-centered ways. But you're also going to remind us of the cross and how much you love us. You're going to remind us of the victory that we have in Christ. And you're going to remind us of the life we're called to. And your spirit will give us the courage and the strength as we walk through the word of God. For the word of God is power. Your word will accomplish what you send it out to do. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe and follow you in Jesus' name.